0: Welcome to the Childcare Business Professionals Podcast. I'm Evelyn Knight. Hello everybody. Thank you for joining us today. I'm here with Julie Hansen out of Vancouver, British Columbia, and she is the owner of Inspired ECE. So Julie, tell us a little bit about what Inspired ECE is and what you do. Sure,
1: I'm an early childhood consultant. I work with early childhood educators, family child care providers, owners and managers, and even students as well. Um, looking at their daily practice, teaching uh, workshops, and also doing consultations in their programs to help them support um, them in their um, everyday practice as teachers and educators.
0: Great, and you've also have experience in centers, right? I've noticed uh, that you do have management experience. Tell us a little bit about that.
1: Yes, I've actually been in the field for 20 years. I started off as a director of a preschool and moved into supervising three to five-year-old programs, infant-toddler programs, after-school care programs, and then into, um, IT programs and into the center manager role. Um, And now my role also is that of a program um, enhancement director. So I work for a child care agency as well, where I'm developing their programs um, and supporting their staff team development as well.
0: So that's probably something you can definitely help uh, people that are looking, part of your consulting is that program enhancement, I'm sure. That probably comes in handy. It does. So, what led you to becoming a consultant and doing workshops?
1: Well, I just really wanted to find a way to give back to um, a field that had given me so much as an educator. And when I started to become a supervisor and manager, I really enjoyed um, supporting team members in their personal and professional development. And I thought, well, if I enjoy doing this and giving back, maybe I need to look at doing it more um, as a business. Uh, and then I started to teach workshops. Uh, an executive director I worked with, she asked me to come and do a programming workshop and I was really nervous as a young supervisor to do it and it was for a full day. It was for eight hours and once I started doing it, about 10 minutes into it, I knew I wanted to start my own business and do it. And then I've just been teaching workshops on everything from setting up ECE environments for success to cohesive team culture, um, to deconstructing circle time. And I tried to look at the different areas uh, of curriculum or our daily practice that I knew would be the most beneficial in supporting educators and family child care providers and also managers and owners.
0: Right. That's awesome. So, um, looking at your website, I see that you do a lot of team building type and you also do specific curriculum, uh, different uh, workshops. And you do those online also, right?
1: I'm starting to. I'm really excited. Right. I'm hoping to launch my online workshops um, in January or slightly after the new year. So I'm really excited about that new project.
0: Oh, great. That sounds fantastic. I love uh, the one I thought that was great. You have one called the Messy Art Workshop. I think that is fantastic. It's uh, It really sounds like it'll help teachers not be afraid to let kids get messy.
1: It's really great. It's an opportunity to really talk about open-ended art and um, art explorations versus uh, traditional craft. So really focusing on the process, not the end product, and just taking away some of the myths of, you know, messy art. Is it going to be a lot of cleanup for me or is it not going to be an enjoyable experience for the children? And also looking at the tie-ins with messy art projects to sensory play and sensory exploration or even science as well. So I get the uh, participants to do a lot of hands-on participation as well so that they can try it too. And I also like to encourage educators to play, to get right in there and explore the materials for themselves before we put them forward in activities or provocations for the children. Um, And I think once we do that and give ourselves the permission to play, we're more apt to put really exciting and hands-on learning. The experiences
0: forward for the children right that's fantastic so I was before we started recording I was telling you about how I watched your the YouTube video that you were featured on and I love uh, when you guys were talking about doing circle time and different things um, you were talking about spontaneous emergent moments that we need to take advantage of and uh, tell us a little bit about that what do you mean by that
1: Sure. Well, I think as educators, we oftentimes will go into like a group time or circle time with a plan, right? Like, okay, today Mm -hmm. I'm going to do this finger play or I'm going to read this story. I'm going to play this game to really read your group and see, well, maybe I need to do that movement activity or a different movement activity before I do a story, or maybe I'll end up reading that story later on in the day because the children want to play a game. And so being open to spontaneity, I should say, and really just following the children's lead. And I think once we do that, those types of experiences are going to be more meaningful and to capture those teachable moments with children as well.
0: Right. And that's a great lead into the emergent curriculum style. I know my center does follow the emergent curriculum style, but it is really hard to get teachers who are used to like creative curriculum or a different type of curriculum to come in to the emergent curriculum style. But we know that it is just so developmentally appropriate. So describe what emerging curriculum is and uh, touches on a little bit about how you train on that.
1: Sure. So when I think about emergent curriculum or inquiry-based learning, I think about following the children's lead and also for us as educators to be facilitators and to learn alongside the children. So an example of an emergent curriculum opportunity might be if you went for a walk with the children and you saw a bunch of spider webs and the children were really interested in spider webs, that maybe you would plan your curriculum around spiders or spider webs for the next week. So there is still an element of planning. I know a lot of people think when they hear emergent curriculum, well, there's no planning it it would just be chaotic. And what would we do? You can still obviously have a plan that goes into it. But the concepts and the ideas really come from observations of the children and what their interests are, or what they're drawn to. I like to really talk about the uh, importance of observation when it comes to emergent curriculum. So thinking about having little notepads, maybe around your program space where educators can write anecdotal observation notes and they can see, oh, wow, the children are really, really interested in building skyscrapers. Maybe we need to bring in pictures or reference books about skyscrapers. And then you can take that one concept and weave it through all the different areas of your curriculum. So it's really about being a keen observer.
0: Right. Absolutely. So what we do for the observations is I get little uh, three by five cards on spiral bound rings and I have my staff keep them in like an apron pocket. That way they can just pull it out really quick, put a quick note, and then it's really easy just to tear those off and put it on a chart for a specific child. So it's it's a really easy way to have them close by. But yeah, you're absolutely right. It's so wonderful. And they can you still plan. It's just a and, to, and sometimes it's anticipating what are they going to be interested in? We're going into the holidays. So we know they're going to be interested in Halloween or Thanksgiving. And I think the other thing important, that's really important to think about in emerging curriculum is if the children aren't interested in what you had planned, it's okay to drop that. We don't have to stick with what we have planned just because we wrote out a lesson plan. If it's not working for them, we really have to be aware and follow their cues. So it's, that great balance between teacher-led and child-led activities
1: a hundred percent and that flexibility as an educator to know that that's okay and also to be open to learning one of the things that I talk to um, educators about in my workshops is the importance of reflection so at the end of the day to ask yourself those questions like um, what did I learn as an educator, how did I support the learning of children or even my coworkers during the day? It's really important to take that time to think about it, and also documentation plays an important role because taking photos, writing down direct quotes from the children, and writing up that uh, documentation, or if there are apps that you use within your organization for your documentation, to look back at it and reflect on it, because as you look at the process of learning that took place, you might not have seen something in the moment. Right. And that might support um, some extensions of learning that you're going to do or extensions of the activities that you might continue on. And to also be aware that the activity doesn't have to have a time frame. It doesn't have to be in one or two days. It could go on for a couple of weeks. And you can also explore multiple concepts at the same time.
0: Right, right. You
1: could be doing Halloween, talking about Halloween and fall. And maybe your group is also really into dinosaurs. Right. So you're doing two things at one time and that's fine.
0: Right. Not to fixate too much on that theme piece. Otherwise, that is when it becomes difficult when you're just so fixated on one theme. So, yeah, absolutely. I think the other thing that people overlook very often is when you have an emergent curriculum style. Surprisingly, it actually helps with behavior issues. When you empower the children and they're really interested in what they're doing, you suddenly don't have as many behavior issues as you, you know, when they're completely structured.
1: I think it also signals to the children, you are valued. Yes. We are here to listen to you. And we really want to take on um, your ideas. And we're here to, to hear what you have to say and what you think and what your interests are. And I really love it, too, when a child comes to me and asks me a question. And for me as an educator, it's okay if I don't have the answer and to say, you know what? I don't know, but I will find out or let's find out together. Right. And that's why it's great for the children to see that that they don't always have to have the answer, or we might not have the answer right away, but together on this journey, we will find it. And that's right. why i having tons of resource books, or bringing in my laptop and looking up something on Google to find a fact for a child or something like that is great.
0: Absolutely. And, and my education background is in psychology. And I'll tell you, one of the things I uh, love to train on is telling adults that, When uh, like just now, when you were just talking about uh, telling them, I don't know the answer to that, it's important for them to know that we're human, too. We make mistakes. We don't know everything. And I think a lot of times we think we have to have all the answers, but it helps them in the long run with their social emotional development when we do admit, you know what? I don't have the answers. Let's go find that together. And it sends them that message that it's okay to be human. And again, that's another big component to that social emotional piece that in the long run helps with behavior.
1: I think it also demonstrates being a lifelong learner to children, that, yeah. uh, that as adults, we are learning alongside them. Uh, and I think that that's a really important piece um, of our daily practice as educators as well.
0: Right. Absolutely. So in your YouTube video and the one you were featured in, it, you also said uh, you ask teachers oftentimes, do you have a schedule or a routine, which I absolutely love that, too. So talk about that a little bit more.
1: Right. So this is one of my favorite questions to ask educators. And I also, too, in a lot of my workshops, I'll explain the difference between a schedule and routine because it's been my observation that a lot of people don't know the difference. So a schedule is when everything is by the minute. Okay, free play is going to be from seven o'clock in the morning to nine o'clock. We're going to have snack at eight oh five. We're going to go outside at 1030. Group time is at 1035, where routine is free play is from seven to nine. We're going to have open snack uh, around eight. We're going to have our group time after open snack. We're going to go outside after our group time. And it still is, um, you know, indicative of, of talking about what you're going to do during the day, but not having a specific time frame attached to it. Because what if you're having amazing explorative play in the morning and you're scheduled to go outside? You can you can keep that um, play going for another 15 minutes because it's so valuable. Of what's going on that you have the ability to um, move your day around it's not so structured that you can't do that and in that same conversation I also talk about taking out unnecessary transitions for children
0: yes.
1: because if there's too many transitions for children it it's very challenging for them and it also is um it, it, it that's when I find that I notice a lot of challenging behavior comes out when there are too many transitions
0: Right, absolutely. And yeah, with that uh, really heavy structured uh, classrooms, I think a lot of people mistakenly think that that's high quality. They think that if they stick to a strict schedule, they're implementing a really high quality, which actually the opposite is true. You're really stifling Well, you're really not helping the children to grow in those times where the growing is at its strongest. And if you look at the NEYC standards, they want to see that flexibility too. The sequence is very important. So I think people do often confuse that sequence for that strict schedule.
1: I think, too, when we have such a a strict schedule, we miss out on really key um, social emotional uh, connections and times or even opportunities for critical thinking or um, self-help skills or problem solving skills because children are so rushed. Um, And we need to make sure that we're we're not doing that and that we're allowing enough time um, for these important parts of development to really take place and for children to have time to master skill as well.
0: Absolutely. I know they learn through playing. And in order for them to really work out what they're learning, they need that time. Otherwise, they may not work out the problems that they're working out through the play, if we're not giving them enough time to play. Uh, I especially see this outdoors, where they just need, you know, 30 minutes outdoors is just not enough time for that exploration.
1: Yes, it's great, too. And when you're talking about being outdoors, I often see that educators are afraid to take the children for a walk in the community. Yes, Or to go visit a local community garden or to go um, for a nature walk or things like that. And I think it's important uh, for children to do that because they are very important community members and we need to be able to show them uh, the community. And a walk is a great way to do that.
0: Absolutely. And I know in our, I live in a small community, so it's probably easier for us here, but most of the business owners around us are very open to allowing our children to come tour. They'll show them just, we have a local ice cream uh, store that lets the kids go and see how ice cream is made. And it's really cool for the kids to see the behind the scenes of the places that they're going to every day.
1: Yeah, that's wonderful.
0: So let's talk a little bit about your team building. Uh, what are the biggest struggles do you see managers dealing with and what are you uh, really focusing on the most? Well,
1: I think um, this is, could possibly be the same for you, but um, a lot of managers and owners, hiring is yes. definitely um, a, a huge issue. And just, um, uh, I would also say staff retention. So looking at one, uh, being able to hire um, candidates, the availability of candidates, and then staff retention. So for me, I try to get really creative when it comes to hiring. Um, I really like to support um, college students and making sure that our programs are open to practicum students and that they're learning programs. So having practicum students into the programs and after they're finished their practicums, that they may work part-time, and then that part-time may turn into a full-time position um, if it's available.
0: Right. That's a great that's actually something I haven't thought of yet. I do have interns, but I haven't actually thought about hiring the practicum students. So that is a a really good one there. I've been lucky uh, lately with um, recruiting stay at home moms that their children are starting kindergarten or their youngest, and they haven't been in the field for a few years. So they're looking for ways to get back into the workforce. And they usually turn out to be great employees. So that's where I've been having a lot of luck. So how do you deal or how do you help coach a team with employee retention?
1: So I like to look at things like, obviously, um, salary is a big one and looking at that, but also like, other perks that could be in place for them so being flexible when it comes to things like um, if a person needs a day off we really try our best to be able to fill that and making sure that we do have subs within the program the other thing I like to do is if I do have part-time positions in the program kind of building in that internal sub or if you're able to have a floater that does break coverage For multiple programs that that person can cover for vacations and things like that and then you have another sub that covers the breaks so being able to look at things like that and then also doing things for teams in the past um a center that I was managing, we uh, didn't really have a staff room. And so uh, there was a time in the summer where I was able to get a whole bunch of plants donated from a local nursery. And my husband's a landscaper. So we landscaped this entire upper deck that we um, could use for adults. And I surprised the team um, by turning it into a break zone for them, which was really, really fun. So, to do fun little events like that, or to have regular bowling nights, or um, I've recently just organized a um, uh, a harbor cruise for um, the staff for our Christmas party. So things like that. So um, doing things like that, or even just I find making a point of acknowledging the efforts of team members on a daily basis. Like whenever I'm in a program, I always make a point of going to each staff member and and making sure that I say something really positive or acknowledging something for them because I feel like it's important if I can offer a bright spot in someone's day, um, that's a really important part of management.
0: Right. I totally agree. I actually, uh, the podcast that'll air before yours is going to be about employee retention. And that is really what I, one of the big things I focus on is, uh, I, I, that just acknowledging, even if it's just really small and telling them, Hey, I noticed what you did. It doesn't, I think a lot of times as managers, we think it has to cost money. And it has to be this big deal, but really they just, people want to know that they were seen. They just want to know that we know what they're doing, that the job they're doing is hard and they're working really hard. And I have found that just making sure I'm keeping aware of that goes a really long way. And uh, we have very unusually for my industry in my area, I have very high employee retention, which is my average employee has been with me for five years. Wow. So yeah. And that's, odd for, uh, this area, especially since there's literally over a thousand jobs that pay double what I pay. So it's something we've really had to work on figuring out, but yeah, you've got some great suggestions there that I haven't, I love the idea of the, like sharing subs and, um uh, the part time for internal subs. I had not thought about that either, but that's one of the big issues that employees need that flexibility because their families have to come first.
1: And I think, too, when I always try to be creative with my scheduling and very supportive of educators that maybe have their their basic certificate and want to go back for, say, their infant, toddler, their special needs to be flexible within our schedule to support people that are finishing their education or Mm -hmm. um, I have something that's going on in their personal life if someone goes down from full time to part time for a time period I still want to be able to support them and have them still work within the company and so I really feel that that's an important part of what we do too is to be supportive and flexible because that person if you do that I find that educator is going to stay in the field and they're going to stay working for you.
0: Right and then the end up being loyal to you. Loyalty yes. becomes a very yes. big part of that. And I've talked to so many directors that they don't really see the employee side of things. They get so caught up in, oh, but the center needs this and the, that they forget that, well, that that employee's family has to come first. Yes. And what they're going through is bigger than this job. And when we lose sight of that, that's when we tend to start losing employees. Right. Right. So, yeah, just definitely letting just for us in the management world, we just have to remember that family comes first no matter what. And I think when you have that shift in thinking, it can really help a lot. So you've been uh, in the field for over 20 years. So what kind of changes have you seen?
1: I think it's been very interesting as far as it uh, like curriculum. I was trained as a theme based teacher when I first um, started in the field and then made my own choice to become an emergent teacher. But now the industry um, is really going in that direction in B.C., where I live. uh, We have. Uh, the British Columbia Early Learning Framework, which is fantastic. And it's a really great guide to support educators in understanding more of an emergent inquiry-based learning. And it's, it's fantastic. So really seeing that shift Um, from a more of a theme-based into an inquiry-based learning um, is really positive. And I think really just establishing more of a connection with the parents. I feel that 50% of our job is educating families and supporting families. Um, We're not just about supporting that one, the child in the program, but the entire family. And really, I really am happy to see more of a connection with community partners like supported child care and development programs or health nurses or occupational therapists and speech and language pathologists um, in our programs. Um, And also just really seeing that connection grow. And I'm hoping to see even more of a connection grow between the early childhood community and and, uh, kindergarten teachers.
0: Yes, I agree.
1: I'm really hoping to see that um, because we really do need to be partners. We really, really do, um, in early years learning. And I really hope to see more of that. I think we're starting to get there, but we've got a long way to go.
0: And we're in the same boat here. I, same type where we're still kind of on different islands, but there's some effort I'm seeing of trying to bring together the ECE world and the kindergarten, but absolutely agree with you. Uh, one of the things I did here, um, where we live, I went to each kindergarten teacher in our town and I interviewed each one of them and asked them, well, what do you want from us? What would you like us to accomplish before the children get to your classes? And I put a program together just to help them in that way. And it really just helped to bridge that gap. The other thing we do is that uh, the beginning of the school year, I have my parents sign off on a waiver so that I can take each child's um, portfolio to their new kindergarten teacher. So that's helped us out a lot, bridge that gap between the public school and coming in from the private ECE world. So hopefully that'll help us grow. Um, and going back to what you were talking about with going from that theme base to the emerging curriculum, we're seeing that here too. And I think what's really happening is that in our field, early childhood education, we're starting to realize that we really need to focus on developmentally appropriate practices. And that that is really starting to take the driver's seat in our industry, which is wonderful. And I love to see that. So are you finding the same thing?
1: Yes, yes, I do. And especially if you look at like, say a three to five year old program, you have children from the age of two and a half to five in one program. So being able to really look at the different developmental levels um, and make sure that the activities and experiences that we put forward meet everybody's developmental level. The other thing that I'm seeing that I really, really appreciate is that educators are viewing children more as individuals. Yes. Um, in the programs, and looking at where each child is at, and what each child's needs are specifically, and how we can support each child as an individual.
0: I I completely agree. Which I love that shift also from that just expecting all the children to fit in a specific box to recognizing that they each have their own individual needs and they are individualized. And I think that's where our field is really ahead of the game on in that area. uh, And I think that goes along with focusing on those developmentally appropriate practices. We're really on the right track, I think.
1: No, I agree 100%.
0: Well, thank you, Julie. It has been wonderful talking to you. So tell my listeners where they can find you online. Sure.
1: So you can find me um, at Inspired ECE on Instagram, uh, Facebook as well. Uh, My website is www.inspiredece.ca. There's a whole list of all of my workshops there. And I do post um, new activities and experiences on my social media almost every day.
0: Oh, great. And do you work with the in the Washington area also, or do you just stay in the British Columbia area? So
1: far, I've just stayed in British Columbia, but I am really interested in kind of um, expanding and, and traveling and things like that.
0: Thank you, Julie, for the wonderful interview. And again, everybody check out Julie's website and her Instagram and Facebook page. I hope everybody has a wonderful rest of their week, and I hope you guys learned a lot from this interview. Please visit my Facebook group, Child Care Business Professionals, and let me know what you thought about this interview. Thank you for joining me. Please subscribe to this podcast on iTunes, and let me know what you thought of this episode in the comments. You can also tell me what subjects you would like me to address for future episodes. And one last thing, I would really appreciate a five-star review. Don't forget to check out all the great resources on my website, www.childcarebusinessprofessionals.com.